Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. It is Christmas time already. We're going to just start celebrating right away. And so, welcome to Christmas time, Christmas season. Um, you know, the thing that's tough about Christmas, especially starting this early, is that you feel this uh, expectation to be merry and bright. Um, sometimes that's easy, and sometimes it's not, right? Sometimes it's easy to be merry and bright. Sometimes there's aspects of life that feel very merry and bright. There's other aspects of life that may not feel so merry and bright, and there's this expectation that this is not the time to process the stuff that's hard, the stuff that's difficult. Um, but when we watch the news or look around the world, read the newspaper, if you do that still, um, you find that uh, there's a lot of pain out there. There's drought in Somalia, there's protests in China and Iran, there is war in Ukraine. Um, and you know, Stats Canada keeps up on you. And did you know that they have stats about your life satisfaction? Does anybody want to know what's happened to their life satisfaction? Yeah, well, according to Stats Canada, the satisfaction in Canada had a decline. Uh, Pre-COVID, we were, uh, out of 10, we were about 8.09% satisfied with our lives. And now we're hovering somewhere about 6.7%, just not quite as happy as we used to be. But, you know, I, I think the, the point that I want to make today is that um, wherever you're, you are, whatever you're facing or struggling with or whatever level of life satisfaction you have, just understand that Christmas includes you. Christmas is for you. Christmas season is for you. I want to talk today about suffering at the manger. And um, we're going to have communion together at the end, and that's where it leads us eventually. But I want to wrestle with this question. Does the Christmas story speak to our suffering. And I, in order to answer that, I want to take you into one of the classic stories of the Bible. We sang bits of it already today. I want to look at the story of the Magi, the wise men. Um, and I, I, every time I think about the, the wise men, I am transported to uh, Christmas plays, kids' Christmas plays especially, um, I, I remember one time we were doing a nativity with the preschoolers on the stage here, and the little barn was set up over there, and um, Mary was uh, Lauren Soames, the daughter of David Soames, who was our, uh, one of our pastors here for a while, and Lauren was about three, and Lauren wasn't Mary, she was grumpy, and she was going to place the baby in the manger. Um, and so she had to walk across the stage. And so, you know, she was, you hold the baby, pat the baby, walk with Joseph across the stage, put him in the manger. Well, she wasn't having any of it. And so she marched across the stage with that baby by one arm. And she threw him right in the manger. <laughs> Marion Bright? It's the best. I just love the honesty, the raw emotion of being a child of three years old with a dolly. It was, it was wonderful. Let's look at um, one of the famous 
uh, passages, Matthew chapter 2, talking about uh, the, um, the sort of the, the story around the birth of Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Uh, I just love that these wise men make their intentions known. We want to worship. We've come this far to worship. Worship is worth the journey. Let me just encourage you with that. Um, this passage says that we saw his star, and that's interesting because there's a reference uh, to this star in Numbers 24. It's known as the star of Jacob. That the star of Jacob will come, symboling, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and proclaiming the time of Messiah. And uh, we're looking at these wise men called Magi here. What, who were these Magi? Well, the Magi were Medes. If you recall back in the history of Israel, they. Uh, the Israelites, you know, after a season of great kings and not so great kings, uh, in their rebellion, they were carried off into exile by the Babylonians. Babylonians lost their power, and who took over were the Medes and the Persians. And the Medes were kind of more of the thinkers, the Persians more the rulers, although the first king from Babylon to the, um, the Medo-Persian Empire was a Mede. But, but truth be told, they were the priests of the Persian Empire. They were the wise, educated. They were the ones who were involved in all forms of ceremony and ritual. And, and they would have been classically introduced to the writing of the Hebrews and the scriptures of the Hebrews through the exile period of the Jews. And then also through the prominence of Daniel, who was a great leader in that empire, but also a prophet of God. And in Daniel chapter 9, um, you see the timeline expressed of the coming of Messiah given by the angel Gabriel to Daniel. And so with this knowledge and the appearing of the strange and brilliant star in the sky, these gifted astrologers, these educated religious men knew the time had come. Messiah was here. And so they, off they go. They meet with King Herod. The Bible says, if you read on, it says that Herod was alarmed and all of Jerusalem with him. If you're the king and someone says, where's the king because you're not him, that's enough to upset you. Um, and so, you know, Herod devises a plan, tells them where uh, it was prophesied that the Messiah would be born and says, if you find him, let me know. Because just like you, I want to worship him. Although he was next door, I just never looked. Um, and then we pick up the story in verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They did what they came to do. And part of that worship was this next portion of scripture, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And this is actually why we exchange gifts. Did you know that? It's why we exchange gifts at Christmas time, because God sent the greatest gift, his son, and the Magi brought gifts to Jesus. So it's a time to give and to receive. And this Christmas specifically, I want us to pay special attention to these gifts. We're going to spend some time with them. These are the gifts that the Magi brought. And these gifts were 
they were emblems of the hope that these magi carried with them. And this gold, frankincense, myrrh. The gold was in hopes that Jesus would be a great king, the king who would finally bring the whole world together. They brought him frankincense in hopes that he would be a great priest who would heal the divide between God and people. And they brought him myrrh. Well, uh, that one's a little more complicated. And that's what we're going to spend our time on today. We're going to look at this idea of myrrh. Why myrrh? Why did the wise men bring the myrrh? Myrrh is a spice. It's used in embalming dead bodies. It's used as a painkiller. It numbs. And myrrh actually means bitter. And that was in reference to the taste of the spice itself. So why did they give Jesus this embalming painkiller bitter spice? It was a prophetic gift. It describes the complexities of our redemption. Something had to be done. And this gift gives us a clue about a baby who would grow up to suffer greatly, who would pay the ultimate price to give his life on the cross for all who would believe. Myrrh was a gift given to honor the sacrifice of Jesus. You see, it speaks to the future of this prophetic suffering that Jesus would endure as a suffering prophet. You see, a theological idea that is good for you to hang on to is the idea of the three offices of Jesus in his earthly life. And those are prophet, priest, and king. And, and sure, there are other prophets, other priests, and other kings, but none of them fulfilled their role in perfection. And I believe that no human being ever held all three of those God-given offices, only Jesus, in his perfection. And the prophet was one who would bring God to the people. He'd hear from God, he'd come, he'd share what God is saying. The priest was the one who would bring the people to God. Come, let's worship, let's offer incense, let's, you know, let's do this. And a king, a godly king, rules with justice and righteousness as God's agent. Those are these offices. So today, we'll look at Jesus as a prophet as we connect that with the idea of the gift of myrrh. Did you know that Jesus fulfilled over 350 prophecies that are in your Bible? 44 of them specifically about being the Messiah. He made 17 predictions that came true. He talked about his disciples' actions, his own death on the cross, his resurrection, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the scattering of the Jews, the destruction of the temple, and much, much more. Jesus certainly was a great prophet. A prophet is someone who reveals God. And Jesus, in his own words, says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I'm here to reveal him. A prophet speaks for God. And Jesus said, I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. A prophet is someone who communicates God's will. And Jesus said, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus certainly was a great prophet. And like the prophets of the Old Testament, Jesus suffered. 
He suffered rejection and slander and betrayal, not to mention a broken heart because of the way the people rejected God's commands. The gift of myrrh reflects the price of the destiny of Jesus. It was a bitter destiny. It was a destiny to suffer for you and for me. And when he spoke, <laughs> when he spoke, his words pointed out where death was hiding. He brought it to the surface so that it could be dealt with. His words pierced the heart of the sinner, infuriated the religious, and brought such great comfort to the broken. And the cost was his very life. You see, the point is this. Jesus understands the myrrh in your life. He understands it. He's lived it. Now, let me give you a few examples. He understands your financial suffering. He gets it. I mean, I, I think there's many of us right now who would say, is it really that expensive? I actually took a picture this week at the grocery store. I've never taken a picture of produce before, but cauliflower for $9.99, I had to take a photo. I bought two. No, just kidding. I didn't buy any. I mean, Christmas this year, every, you know, everybody's feeling the pinch. It's expensive. I understand that. Listen, can I give you some advice? Don't buy a real Christmas tree. Just cut down your neighbor's cedar hedge, bring it inside, and whatever Saanich or Victoria charges you as a bylaw violation is cheaper than buying a Christmas tree. It's expensive out there. I mean, I'm making light of this, but honestly, it is, it's tough. Unexpected bills, mountains of debt. But I want you to know that Jesus understands the complexity of financial need. His very birth in a stable. His, his early tender years among peasant parents and a refugee in Egypt. And, and even in his adult life, living homeless. Remember what Jesus said? He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He understands. He also understands your physical exhaustion. Some of you are working so hard right now. And maybe it's not just the work, but it's also the challenge of the work. It's the challenge of getting to work. It's the challenge of who you work with. Maybe you're having sleep problems. Maybe you have little children need I say more? Exhausted. You know, the schedule can be so intense, so crazy. And, and, and Jesus knows what it feels like to be weary. I mean, you know, you're pretty tired if you sleep through a storm in the bottom of a boat, right? I mean, he must have been tired. He would go off sometimes by himself to pray just to try to find some peace. One time he said to the disciples, come on, let's go away and find a quiet place and get some rest. And when he got there, 5,000 people, hungry people, were waiting for him. He understands. He understands the physical exhaustion. He also understands your relational betrayal. Some of you understand this all too well, that those who are the closest to you, the ones that you love the most, it's the most painful when you experience betrayal there. Maybe it was a family member or a spouse or a best friend or a, a work colleague that was close and near. But Jesus experienced this kind of pain. The religious leaders were jealous, drawing the crowds away. They, the crowds were fickle. They loved him. Then they wanted him crucified. He was betrayed by his own family on some levels. 
after hearing some of his teaching, they said, it says this in Mark 3, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he's out of his mind. That's not very supportive, as you can imagine. He was also betrayed by Peter, one of his closest friends, and Judas, one of his inner circles, sold him to his own death. He understands your relational betrayal. He also understands what grief and loss feels like. Maybe you're here today and you say, my heart is so broken. I'm suffering. There's sadness and sorrow. Maybe it's job loss. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one or a relationship or a goal or a dream. Dealing with realities. But Jesus understands grief. The Bible says that he wept over the condition of Jerusalem. He wept over his friend Lazarus who had died. Grief was always close and always present for Jesus. Isaiah teaches us that. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. He knew grief. He also knew loss. Jesus' life was marked by a series of deaths. At the end, it was his physical death on the cross, but also a death to his earthly family during his ministry years and a death to his own will in the desert at the very beginning of his ministry. And finally, he also understands emotional suffering. Oh, I just think someone needs to hear that today. Battling your anxiety and your depression, your fear, your loneliness. You know, Jesus was no stranger to emotion. In fact, I find it very compelling and, and attractive to, to reflect on how Jesus was so honest with what was going on even with his disciples, the ones that, you know, he was supposed to be leading. The Bible says in the garden, just before the cross, Jesus said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He was saying, I'm feeling it, guys. It's hard right now. It feels heavy. I just want to share that with you. Will you pray with me? You see, Jesus identifies in all of these areas with us in terms of our own suffering. But you know what I find very interesting? There's one area where we suffer greatly that Jesus doesn't relate to. And that's the suffering over our own sin. It's the one place where Jesus can't relate because he lived a perfect life. He can't identify with the fact that we suffer often with regret over our own choices. We suffer with heartbreak over what we've done to others. And, and so Jesus can't identify with the suffering over his own sin, but listen, because of his great love for you, he chose to suffer over yours. That is a compelling kind of love. Wow. So the question that we're wrestling with is, is there suffering in the Christmas story? Does it deal with the suffering of life? But maybe a better question is this one. What does Jesus do with the myrrh of life, the bitterness, the numbness, the pain of life? Well, I'm here to tell you, he defeats it. He's champion. He's victorious, friends. 
You see, myrrh was present in his life as a gift, and it was present in his death as a temptation. Because he was offered a pull that had a combination of vinegar and myrrh in order to numb the pain he was experiencing on the cross, but he said no. He rejected it. He refused it. Why? Because he had in mind that he was there to defeat the hopeless suffering of the world. And so in that moment, he said, I'm going to prove to you that there's a better way. And so on the cross, Jesus secured eternal hope for us. And he limits the power of sorrow because he continually offers hope because the cross puts a stop to hopeless suffering. And that's why the psalmist is right in Psalm 30, where it says, weeping, it may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen? Joy comes in the morning. So, yeah, let's return now to our question as we prepare for communion on this great Sunday. Does the Christmas story speak to our suffering? Yes, absolutely. But here's what it does speak over your suffering. Christmas proclaims Jesus understands and overcomes our suffering. Praise God. Praise God. You know, Jesus is is God, now in heaven, reunited with the Father. When he was on earth, he carried the office of prophet. And so from heaven and on earth, Jesus knew what was coming. And he knows what's coming for you. I want you to take comfort in that. We are often surprised when life throws a curveball at us. I'm so glad Jesus isn't. I'm so glad. I take comfort in the fact that he knows what's coming. And so in the closing moments of this service, as we get ready for communion, the, we have some help coming here. If for some reason you didn't receive this, we just wanna make sure that you get it. It's the, the bread and the, and the juice we're gonna share together. Just lift a hand and we'll make sure that you get it. This is family time. And, we don't want anyone to be missed that would like to participate with us. Just lift a hand and the team will come. Just give everybody a moment here. And, and while we're finishing this part up and getting ready, uh, I want to share um, sort of a drawing together of final thoughts. And that is that the one who overcame suffering wants to walk you through yours. <laughs> It's amazing. Jesus isn't the one who runs away when it gets tough. You know, sometimes you find out who your friends are when it's hard. And Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Amen? He wants to walk you through your challenging moments, through your suffering. And maybe you look at the world around you and you just go, oh my goodness, where's the hope? And that's where Jesus says, I'm a living hope. Whatever new challenge you face, 
I've got hope that matches it because it's a live hope. It changes. It meets the need of the moment. And I, maybe like me today, what you're feeling is just thankful. Thankful for the cross because, because the cross is even clearer when we see it through the manger. I want to share a quote with you. It's from F.W. Borum, who was a, a great man of God from yesteryear. And in one of his Christmas Day writings, he says this, the longer we live and the more Christmases we spend, the greater grows the glory of the incarnation. The manger becomes a casket in which all the jewels of divine revelation glitter with increasing luster. A little baby throws out its arms and cries. And in its outstretched arms and piteous cry, we have a cameo of Calvary. Golgotha is implicit in Bethlehem. The redemption of the world is wrapped in swaddling clothes. And so we thank Jesus today. We thank Jesus for his life and for his redemption. And that he meets us in every moment of suffering. And so, yes, friends, let's be merry and bright. But we don't have to be blind. Life can be difficult. But Jesus is so good and hope belongs to you. Pick it up today. Pick it up today. Let it be yours. So Heavenly Father, we pray. We pray a thankful prayer that the cross is this fulfillment, this powerful place to look to say, Jesus, you defeated death. You defeated hopelessness. And even in our suffering, Lord, you fully understand and you have won. And so we ask even now, Lord, that across the room, that victory would find our hearts. Sometimes joy evaporates, but Jesus, today may we be like the Magi who when they saw you were overjoyed. Fill our hearts with joy, Lord, as we reflect on your goodness to us. Come today, Savior, and speak your hope over our suffering. In Jesus' name. So reflect with me now. I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul speaks about this beautiful meal that we're going to receive together. Go ahead and pull back that, um, that cellophane, and you can uh, then take the wafer and pull back the, the foil, and you'll be prepared with, um, with the juice here. So taking these elements in hand, let me read from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of Christ broken for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The blood of Christ shed for you. I pray that your communion reflection is broader as you see it through the manger. And the celebration is richer because we see from the beginning the goal of the cross. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen? Let's praise the Lord together one last time before we go. Come on, let's stand to our feet and let's celebrate Jesus. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he's defeated death and gives you hope in your suffering. Amen? Let's sing it.